Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble. Today we're looking at internet addiction. Darren Dodd and guests discuss the World Health Organization's decision to list internet gaming as a disease and what makes young people particularly vulnerable to internet addiction. He talks to Henrietta Bowden-Jones, consultant psychiatrist, and Hannah Redler-Hawes, curator of an exhibition on addiction at London's new science gallery that opens in September. So Henrietta, as someone who's worked with gambling and many other types of addiction over the years, how worried should we be about this relatively new problem? And what does the WHO decision actually mean? The recent inclusion by the WHO of gaming disorder as one more of the addictions listed in its manual gives it recognition and by doing so it allows a much better understanding in terms of funding for research, in terms of clinical centres being set up across the world and most importantly something that is really lacking at present, a unified approach to diagnosing the illness using the same screening tools. We like the idea of using evidence-based interventions and at present with diseases such as gaming disorder there is a disparity in terms of various countries approaching the issue in different ways. So Hannah, I mean, tell us about your show and how it came about and how you illustrate some of these problems. Okay, so the show is called Hooked and it's at the New Science Gallery London which opens in September and Hooked is the inaugural exhibition. And Science Gallery London is a venue dedicated to bringing art, science and health together, particularly for a target audience of young people between 15 and 25. I mean, the rest of us are welcome as well, but that is the target audience. And one of the unique aspects of Science Gallery is that they consult young people to find out what topics they're interested in, what they think is important, and addiction was one of those topics. And what I think is significant about the exhibition is that we're taking an approach to addiction and recovery from a health angle. So we're not taking a moralising perspective. We're looking at addiction in terms of how engaging in potentially addictive behaviours or taking potentially addictive substances can lead to harm and thinking about what the impacts on the individual and society as as a result of that. Could you give us an example of some of the exhibits? Yeah, so particularly in relation to this podcast, I think we have several sections and one of them is called Speed of Light, where we look at the impact of mobile phones and internet gaming, online behaviour. And there are several artworks in there. So one is called Entering the Machine Zone 2 by Catriona Beals, who's an artist. And Catriona coincidentally actually researched with Henrietta as a collaborator on this piece. And the piece looks at the way that a lot of gamers don't engage in fruit machines or compulsive online behaviour simply for the money, but actually for the disassociative trance-like state that they enter into when they enter the machine zone. So the piece sort of plays with that a bit. There's also a piece called Me You Limbo by Yola Quintero, which uses the metaphor of a love affair to explore the loss of self that happens when you get completely you know, wrapped up in your mobile phone. And another installation called Sisyphus by Esmeralda Cosmetopoulos, which presents you with a wall of different screens that all show different batteries animated going up and down at different levels. And she's really interested in the way that we've got this new ritual in our lives where we're constantly trying to find power for this extension of ourselves, these mobile phones. Let's talk specifically about smartphones. I mean, these are the main way that people access the internet today. We've seen some moves from the likes of Apple and Google to try and limit screen time. Henrietta, what do you think of their efforts? Do we need stronger regulation? Should we regulate industry like the tobacco industry with more restrictions on marketing? How do you think we should go about it? The use of mobile phones to access the internet is widespread. What we are seeing in clinical practice is people compulsively 
watching porn or compulsively gambling or compulsively gaming, doing it more and more frequently on mobile phones rather than from laptops and computers. And this is really linked to the availability. So having the smartphone in your pocket means a bit like having a bottle of vodka in your pocket if you are an alcoholic. But I think taking this approach of prohibiting use after a certain number of hours is not going to be very helpful in general. I think it's much more important to ensure that any compulsive behaviours are identified and that people are aware that after a certain amount of time they should be able to move on and do other things. I'm interested in the whole gadget idea. For example, I'm a runner and I run five times a week. I have a Garmin watch. If I sit down for longer than about 40 minutes, the watch says move, despite having been for a run earlier on in the day. And so I think there could be something about alerting people to the extent of time they have been online. But the the toxic behaviours, the compulsive behaviours that some people tend to uh, indulge in, they will continue even if mobile phones are removed because there are so many other ways nowadays to access the internet that really it's much more about self-exclusion if you're a gambler or indeed blocking websites if you are indulging in compulsive porn behaviour rather than blocking it for everybody. The trust you work for, the Central Northwest London NHS Trust, I know they're playing quite a leading role in formulating a response to this. What's the latest thinking there? I was delighted to find great support from Central Northwest London NHS Trust in terms of agreeing to set up the first NHS clinic in the country to treat gaming disorder following the WHO's inclusion in its manual. We will certainly not be the only ones in the future, but for a while we may be the people who are able to teach others about this illness. The fundamental thing here is that the sufferers from gaming disorder are young. They tend to be between 12 and 20 years old. We do not want to make it complicated for these young people to access treatment. It has to be free treatment and it has to be available, if possible, face to face, if not online, throughout the country. And Hannah, so you, you were saying before your exhibition is very much focused on young people and their problems. You were telling me quite an interesting example about Jeremy the grime artist, so quite an interesting idea. So, um, well, we're obviously paying a lot of attention to what young people are saying. And when we started thinking about doing the project around addiction, it wasn't clear whether it was going to include behaviours as well as substances. But young people said, no, we really want to know about our phones. We think we might be addicted to our phones. We want to know. And Jeremy, the grime artist, put something out on Twitter, <laughs> I have to say, last week that was challenging notification culture and really asking questions about the way we're quantifying our lives. You know, we're constantly being noted how many friends we have, how many likes. And, you know, validating ourselves about that. And I think what concerns me about that, and I know this concerns the young people that we've consulted, is if you're validating yourself by that, what happens when the tide turns and you've no longer got the likes? Where does that leave you? And I think it leaves you very exposed and very vulnerable. The exciting thing about this exhibition is very much that it wants to focus on young people and their perception and their understanding of addiction. And I think there is something about young people and their slower maturation in terms of the frontal lobes leading to a higher level of impulsivity. So they will be responding more dramatically to changes, for example, perceived changes in popularity. And I do believe that some of the works that are on offer in this exhibition illustrate their dilemma so well that 
maybe in the future when they do come across moments of intense pain and sadness due to something that so suddenly happened online, they may recall the discussions that have taken place at the gallery and the pieces of wonderful art that they will have seen. I think a really important thing to state about the exhibition is it's about addiction and recovery, but it doesn't actually offer a direct cure. What it does is it opens up the conversation and in line with King's policy, because Science Gallery is a King's College London project, we're looking to destigmatize addiction because once people feel ashamed, they won't seek help. I think that the exhibition doesn't have a perspective itself, but it's hoping that visitors will raise questions about legislation, about criminalisation. And also something we're very keen to show is that recovery is a personal path and it can be a long path and it can be a difficult path, but it also can be a highly rewarding and transformational path. The issue of isolation in addiction is an important one and one of the most significant sides of treating people in terms of a clinical perspective is that the fallout from addiction is leaving behind loved ones, friends, family who you have really removed yourself from in compulsively choosing such a harmful behaviour. And there is a celebration of togetherness in a way in this show, not just the idea of destigmatizing, but also as a group understanding and sharing in the concept of addiction that I think is extremely healthy. After all, one of the great things about treating addiction, one of the things that really works, particularly with behavioural addictions, is a substitution of the harmful behaviour with a positive, emotionally nurturing behaviour like art. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's been uh, very illuminating. Hannah, just remind us again, when and where can people catch your exhibition? So Hooked is a King's College London Science Gallery project. It opens on 21st of September and runs until January the 6th. It's completely free. There are lots of really fabulous events, including a data detox with Dr. Zena Feldman from King's, who's going to encourage people to explore their digital dependency and find out more about having a happier, more productive life online. And that is on the 4th and 25th of October. That was Darren Dodd talking to Henrietta Bowden-Jones and Hannah Redlehors. Thanks for listening. You can find links to London's new science gallery and to our weekly health briefing in our show notes. We'll be back with more news tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.